Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Pastor, where we look at movies, music, comics, and more from the perspective of faith. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is your self-proclaimed pop culture pastor, Chris Perry. My guest today is my good friend, Blake Jackson. Uh, He is, I would say, intended to be the pop culture pastor music correspondent. Uh, I know I I talked with Blake probably, I think it was like 2019, right? We went to that Wilco show, and I was explaining all of my ideas about this podcast, and then it took me you know, a few years, I guess, to actually get it off the ground, but you know, here we are. So welcome to the show, Blake. Well, you're, you're, you're aging like fine wine and this idea aged like fine wine. And so, you know, I'm, ha- I'm happy <laughs> yeah, to be just here. A million other people got podcasts in the meantime, but I mean, okay. I mean, Jeff, Jeff Tweedy started an Instagram show in his home at age 50. So I feel like, you know, starting a podcast at age 40 is you're doing, you're ahead of time. Yeah. And well, and, and my, my goal was to start before I turned 40 and I did it by like a week. So there you go. Well, one of the reasons that uh, Blake is going to be talking about music with me is we have a musical history together. For one thing, we were at Oklahoma Christian in college together, and we were roommates at one point. But most importantly, we were in a number of fairly terrible bands together. Um, so there's a lot of fun stories of you know just getting together and playing music. I was always the least talented person in any of the bands we were in, I think. Uh, but it was fun. I don't, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think you were the least talented. You had, you were, you were the, as I recall, you were the multi-instrumentalist in most of them. Like you, that's true. I had a lot of keyboards that somehow would be out of tune. Like, you, how does it? Yeah, you had a little um, Casio, little Casio, yeah, Casio tone keyboard and you had the Moog synthesizer for a while. Yes, and, I did. The, the Moog yeah. disappeared, unfortunately. And we, uh, we would run those things through like um, effects pedals and stuff, and you could make some pretty gnarly yeah. noises with these That's things. Cool stuff. Yeah. There are still recordings. It will take a lot for those to be released into the wild, but you know, if, maybe we can make, make that an, an incentive someday if I ever have a Patreon. Yeah, when one of us run, when, when, when one of us run, runs for president, then we can release it as blackmail yeah, material. Right. Good plan. And my favorite band, obviously, was Forlorn Winter. Do you want to talk a little bit about Forlorn Winter and what that was? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Forlorn Winter, uh, you know, a legend in their time. Um, you know, it, it it in the it you know at the, around the the uh, the turn of the century when like emo was a big deal and um, you know Deep Elm Records and all that sort of stuff. Forlorn Winter was born out of the ashes of of our tears. Mm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, we knit, we knitted our own sweaters and we grew our hair out and we, you know, painted our fingernails black and we did a few shows. Um, uh, everyone left weeping and, you know, which mm-hmm. was the desired effect. And I feel really proud of the forlorn winter era. I feel like we had sort of the market mm. cornered on like emotional emo. Which, um, you know, which yeah. is sort of like, yeah. like the, the next, next tier of kind of ex- exponential, like it's the emo version right. of emo. That's right. E- e- emo trap, maybe emo trap. There you go. Yeah, we're ahead of the game there, too. You know, there were rumors that Forlorn Winter was not a serious band and that we were 
making fun of of emo that our lyrics were were over the top but those rumors are completely unfounded and whenever people would start laughing at our shows as they often did um you know it it, well it just created more emotion Mm -hmm. and more tears Mm -hmm. um and that was that's kind of part of our story i have i have never done anything more serious in my entire life including you know helping deliver my two children and mm-hmm. and uh, being baptized yeah. uh, into the church. Uh, I've never done anything mm-hmm. more serious than form and play in Forlorn Winter. And so I yeah. just, I find any accusations uh, otherwise to be just unconscionable. I won't stand for it. I hear rumors of a, a reunion. So we'll, uh, we'll uh, let you keep you posted on that. If I can find that Moog synthesizer again. Yep. Well, you, so you mentioned your history, uh, you know, being baptized. So one of the ways that we often start the show is a little bit of a spiritual biography. So just kind of tell us a little your history with church. I mentioned we went to Oklahoma Christian University together, but uh, just, yeah, kind of tell me, tell our listeners a little bit about your background there. Yeah, I mean, I was um, raised in the Churches of Christ tradition. Um, I've done a little bit of like family research and have figured out that maybe my folks' parents were sort of first generation in the Churches of Christ. And then, of course, they passed it down to their kids, which are my parents, who passed it down to us. I'm not sure what we were before then. Um, But I would say three generations in the Churches of Christ tradition is pretty deep. And, um, you know, probably on the more traditional or conservative side of the ledger um maybe more i hesitate to use the word fundamentalist because i feel like i feel like that is can sometimes get an ungenerous uh you know reading um Mm. but i mean and i obviously people never intend to do harm we're always doing the best we can with the tools we have um but yeah probably more on the on the conservative traditional side i'm still in the churches of christ today uh, but probably more as a, you know, somebody who is interested in the spirit of the restoration movement and kind of mm-hmm. what that intended to be and do around like unity and around yes. um, spiritual formation and around um, your table fellowship and some of those things that were sort of in the original charter, so to speak, of, of the tradition that I think today, although they're part of our very rich history, have probably lost some significance as, as some of our churches have become mm-hmm. either more evangelicalized um, or have kind of, you know, declined in, in, in attendance and yeah. whatnot. So a little bit of a restoration within the restoration movement is kind of what I'm, what I'm vibing with. Yeah, the idea, and this is something I talk about as as a minister, that restoration is not a one-time thing. That kind of was the idea for a long time. Like, we fixed it, so just leave it alone. But restoration, if it's a living organism, it's uh, if it's being used, it's going to need restoring over and over. And so that, yeah, it's, it's in keeping with the spirit of this movement. But it, you sometimes get some pushback with that. But we're not going to go into that. There's plenty of other podcasts where I, <laughs> I think I get into some of those I, issues. I will I will say, I do want to pause here really quick because this is going to come up later in this podcast, I think. But I am a, I'm obsessed with Catholicism. I love it. Mm. Love everything about it. 
And I don't know what, I don't know where that comes from, but, uh, but there's some, something in my wiring from my upbringing uh, has tuned my, tuned the frequency of my heart to the high church tradition and in particular the Catholic tradition. And so um, while I am, you know, a COC guy, sort of ride or die, uh, <laughs> I, I, I dabble, I dabble mm-hmm. <laughs> in the other stuff. So, yes, that's, that's one of the jokes amongst my friends is that I'm trying to make us a Catholic community church. <laughs> so yeah. the first one yeah, of those yeah. Yeah. in existence, yeah. uh, Catholic community church of Chris is, uh, <laughs> the denomination you heard it first people. Can, can Forlorn can, can Forlorn Winter make a return as the uh, as the praise and worship band there? <laughs> Excellent, love it. All right, so the other thing that we often start with is early pop culture interests. So, Blake, what were some of the things you were into growing up, or that got you into music specifically? Since that's kind of where we're focusing today, but the other things you were into early on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been really into into rock and roll maybe alternative rock or maybe indie rock i don't know it's all kind of mushed together today mm-hmm. since probably ugh, age 10 or 12 and it really like when i heard the first weezer record at like 12 years old like it just something something broke or maybe something was revealed awakened yes. awakened uh, maybe is a better word um, I mean, it is a perfect album like, so it's a perfect album and um and it just kind of built from there so i was I went to Weezer and stuff like that, and then um, pretty heavily into like Radiohead and the Flaming Lips in the '90s. I went through a pretty serious like punk phase. Mm. Um, my first concert ever was MXPX, um, nice. so Christian punk at that, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it survived my fair share of mosh pit when I was uh, in high school, mm-hmm. um, and then sort of aged gracefully into you know alt country and you know like i think radio like as radiohead went from like raucous to like more of a vibe and mm-hmm. tonal uh i think that kind of mirrored my own sort of transition as a music fan yeah. i just i was i was i was raucous and and a little bit wild and then kind of smoothed out and today i'm you know i'm a middle-aged dad fan so it's, yeah it's good stuff i mean the dad rock <laughs> label the people use it as a in a slanderous way but i'm we're here to advocate for dad rock as a legitimate musical genre yeah and dad 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 are people too dads are people too yeah well uh, as we're thinking about music and you know what music is doing how, how as we're thinking about how music connects to this age that we're living in you know, I wonder, Blake, are you looking for salvation in a secular age? Because I'm not your savior. Now, <laughs> that is a reference to a song by the band, the 1975, and they're going to be our subject today. My goal, you know, as a pop culture pastor, I am also a pop culture evangelist. And so one of my goals today is create new fans of this band. So if if you have not heard of them, uh, stick around and maybe you will gain a new interest in, uh, in this band. But before we start talking about the 1975, we want to think about this idea of 
the time that we live in and the idea of it being a secular age and what that means. This is a concept that uh, we've already discussed a little bit on the podcast. Uh, If you listen to our previous episode, Content Creator Church, that's where I talk about some of that with my friend Mason Lee, who's a professor and has, has taught some of these ideas. But Blake, I know this is a concept that you've spent a lot of time working with, even though you're not a pastor. So, you know, A plus to you uh, for digging into some, you know, kind of deeper philosophical views about the nature of this time that we live in and what that means for spirituality. And so a lot of this comes from the work of uh, philosopher Charles Taylor and his book, A Secular Age. So I know you've you've done a bit with that. So what's your experience with Charles Taylor? Well, I I also have not read the book, although I own it. It sits (laughs) on my shelf. I think you got it for me for my birthday. Yeah. (laughs) But I have not touched it yet. Um, I have read a I've read I've read parts of a secular age, and I have read cover to cover a couple of times a um like a book. That like the Cliff Notes version of A Secular Age, which is a book called How Not to Be Secular by uh, James K. A. Smith. Yeah, love him. Um, and I've used, you know, I've used How Not to Be Secular as like a master key to unlock the book A Secular Age. Mm-hmm. But but primarily with the goal of like doing some teaching in my church on on how we can better understand like how we are situated as Christians in our present era. Um, and it's you know you ask about how that experience was like, it's really, really interesting. And, um, Jamie Smith, uh, who wrote how not to be secular often quotes this section from the speech, the speech, uh, a commencement speech given at Canyon college, Kenyon college, excuse me, um, by David Foster Wallace, where he Mm -hmm. tells this story about these two fish and there's a young fish and old fish and they're swimming in opposite directions. And, you know, the old fish uh, swims by the the young fish and he says, good morning, how's the water? And uh, and the fish is, you know, they kind of pass and the fish doesn't say anything and he swims on and then he pauses and goes, wait, what the heck's water? Um, and so what I love about that story is it's an invitation to examine the thing that is unexaminable, um, mm. the thing that's sort of taken for granted about the time that we're living in. And so the, the goal of doing um, exploring a secular age in, in the context of a Bible class is to help the folks in our church, you know, see the water that they're swimming in. So much of the way we talk about the idea of secularism or the secular is in these terms of like, okay, you know, Christian people are Christian. And Mm -hmm. then everybody who's not a Christian is a secular person. Mm -hmm. And, and Taylor and Smith just like blow that whole concept to, to smithereens. And I think, I think if I could just get somebody to accept that the quick and easy definition of secular is not the one that is actually the most important for living as a Christian in today's age, um, then that would be success. And I would say, you know, 33% of the time we, we, we accomplish that. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. I can, I can imagine, I haven't taught this directly. It's probably informed a lot of what I've taught, but you had to tell a church person some of this, I, I can imagine a lot responding, well, I'm not secular. I'm a Christian. And that's, that's, yeah, misunderstanding what he's talking about. It's the way that Christianity functions in the present day compared to how it functioned, you know, 500 years ago. And so one of the ideas in it is that in the year 1500, there were no atheists, right? Like this wasn't really a intellectual possibility. You know, we went from 
being it was impossible not to believe in God to now it's it's hard to believe in God or at least you know belief is always contested right? you have to make the case for there being anything divine or transcendent and so yeah I mentioned some of the terminology again go back to that other episode where we dig into a little more but this idea of the the imminent frame that we live in which is imminent just as the opposite of transcendent right what you see is what you get is kind of the way that we tend to think even for spiritual people it, it we our baseline assumption is the natural is the real world, and it's it's harder to have access. Right, we're buffered. That's the language he uses. Well, like spiritual forces acting on us seems a little more difficult or obscure to us. I think the idea of the buffered self is a hilarious idea in a in a culture where you when you get stuck in traffic, you open your hands and you look up. And you, you like <laughs> you and there's so much there are so many responses of like why is this happening to me like like if we're truly buffered you don't ask the question why but mm-hmm. anyway but yeah I mean I, I mean I get it right and well that, that kind of gets to one of the things that um, uh, Randy Harris who's one of the professors that I spent a lot of time with he talks about this idea that everyone is on a scale there is no one who is a hundred percent spiritual, 100% a believer, and there's also no one who is 100% secular or 100% atheist. You know, and we probably are thinking of people that might be on both sides, but really everyone is, you know, you can be further along on that scale. There's, there's always a little bit of like, well, you know, you have those moments where you're not quite as sure, and if you're an atheist, you have these moments of, well, maybe there is something transcendent. And even on that scale, you may move back and forth through your lifetime or, you know, depending <laughs> through the day in some cases, I know in my case. And so it's this, these categories are not as simple as they seem. It's, it's hard to name exactly where we're at and what forces we believe are at work. Uh, but it, it does in this secular age, it's, it's hard for us to accept or fully uh, believe that, you know, Things from outside of us, outside of the natural world, are always possible. Well, so one author that has done a lot of work with this, especially in relation to ministry and the church, is Andrew Root. And so uh, one of my favorite books he wrote is called a pa- The Pastor in a Secular Age. And here's what he says about some of this idea. Is it's going to connect to music, where, where we're going in just a minute. He says that art and love seem to invade the, the buffer. Right, so this thing that kind of blocks the divine art and love can sometimes break through. It's not a surprise then that we are a culture overwhelmed by entertainment and sex. These are two ecstatic ways to penetrate the buffer of the self with something that feels like transcendence, but is too weak to demand transformation. Now, we're not talking about sex today. I guess go back to the Song of Songs episode if you want that one. Uh, but we are talking about art, entertainment, music. He says he's arguing that you know, music seems to be transcendent. It feels like transcendence, but it, it's not. I don't know. Do you think that music can help us transcend that buffer or connect with something beyond ourselves, something transformative? Well, I mean, I think I think music and art are certainly and beauty. I mean, any of those things are certainly signposts hmm. and point to the transcendent going back to the to the statement 
that uh, you said Randy Harris made about no one is 100% a believer and no one's 100% secular or atheist. I mean, this is something that later on in that same speech, David Foster Wallace like addresses when he basically says like in the day-to-day trenches of human life, there's no such thing as an atheist. Like we're, we Everybody all worships, we all worship something. Right. And, and, and he says you get to choose, which ironically is part of what Charles Taylor, you know, diagnosis within a secular age is that we're all choosing, right? Yeah, the That's idea the whole... that it's, it's like a marketplace. What am I going to choose to believe in? That's a new concept. Yeah, yeah. Who am I going to choose to be? What am I going to choose to believe in? And and that's that's all a new concept. But so I think whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's and I mean we'll get into this the nineteen seventy five like whether it's whether it's drugs, um, mm. whether it's you know romance or whatever, these are things that give a taste of the transcendent. Is it Augustine who said? Uh, our hearts are restless until they rest in the. Uh, so yeah, so I think I think I think they're they're signposts, they're points, they're access points, they're thin thin spaces, you know. Uh, yeah, for sure, they are too weak. Um, I, they are. I think they are too weak because they're um, uh, they're too, it's too easy to be objectified in any one of them, which is the whole. Pro- which is again one of the things that Taylor is identifying in the in the book is like part of what's happening is that is that um the sense of self and the sense of self within community is falling apart mm. because we are asking all of these different things to provide transcendence when these things are are signposts or or direction errors pointing to the transcendent not the transcendence in and of themselves yeah. so music can point us towards that, but if you make it kind of, you make things that are not ultimate. If you make those ultimate, then they they fall short, and that's so often what happens. But as as we're going to see in in the music we're looking at today, even people that don't claim any sort of spirituality seem like they're done with God. They still have a pull towards it, right? They're haunted by transcendence. I don't want to disrespect anyone's spiritual journey. Right to say like oh well they just think they're atheists but really they believe in God right that's that's not what we're doing today we're we're just looking at this one band in particular and I plan for this to actually be a series because uh, there's a lot of artists that I think are in this same they're wrestling with these same ideas where they say they're done but something keeps pulling them towards God or something bigger than themselves right they they're looking for something to believe in even though that belief is contested. It's contested for them as agnostics or atheists, um, just as we're going to talk about. I think it's often contested for us as believers. Now, that's a lot of philosophy. Hopefully, you if you made it through that. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about this band, the 1975. So, they're a British pop band based in Manchester. How would you describe like their sound? Uh, kind of a lot of genres all together, really. Yeah, I mean, I would say... I would say there are elements of basically every every big like British genre mm-hmm. are all kind of mashed in. So like there's Britpop and there's UK Garage and you know there is um, oh gosh there's uh, there are some like 
hip hop elements and mm -hmm. there is dub and there is reggae, which is not, you know, obviously not British, but like there's, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff just kind of mashed in with this sort of like, like late eighties synthesized pop thing going on. And, and I mean that with all respect, like it's mm -hmm. amazing to listen to. And one yeah. of the coolest things about the band is like, you never know what you're going to get from one like track to the next. And you may have one that sounds like a Prince song. And then the next one sounds like the streets. And then the next one sounds like Radiohead. And the next one sounds like Oasis. And like, yeah. it's, it's, but it all works, right? Like it all works, and that, yeah. sometimes that's the critique of like, they're a little too, they're trying a little too much, but I mean, they try a lot and I think most of it does work. I don't know when you started listening, but I, I kind of got word of them when they were first starting. I think this is around 2012. They put out their first EPs, and I really love those. There's a little bit of emo to it as well, you know, going back to our love of that genre. I think that's kind of how they actually got started as well. I mean, they, the guys in the band have been together since they were teenagers. Um, and so, yeah, I've been following them since they started. And at first, honestly, it was a little bit of like, is this you know, kind of a guilty pleasure, whether that's, you know, a category we should use to talk about entertainment anyway. Uh, but as I stuck with them, like they just kept growing and, you know, expanding their sound. And that's what I've really loved. I, I'm pretty sure they're more popular in the UK. I, I, I lived in England for a couple of years and I actually reached out to some friends there like, is this band a big deal? And they're like, I think so. I like them. But I know sometimes it seems like they're the biggest band you've never heard of. Either you love them or you've never heard of them. I I think um, one of the one of the things that makes us feel that way is that we are not of the generation that they are sort of like made for. Like mm -hmm. we're on the like like we're on the um, very tail end of like the I don't know we even know what you I, somebody described me the other day as a geriatric millennial. Yes, that is a term uh, I have heard as well. Yeah, I yeah, prefer so elder I, millennial. Elder myself. Millennial, yeah. So I, I think I think the 1975 is is more sort of like right in the strike zone of like people 10 years younger than us. Mm -hmm. So if I go around like my office and I ask like five, you know, 28 to 32 year olds if they know who the 1975 is, they're like gushing. Yeah. Um, but if I go and ask five more people who are like 40, they're like, what? Um, and I think the only reason we're, we're talking about them is because we're hanging on, you know, to the last shreds of our youth yeah. And, yeah. and trying to stay. <laughs> home, so. We're the old guys hanging out with the kids. That's right. Hey, how do you do fellow kids? It's like that time. Do you remember that time we went to the, uh, chance, the rapper show yeah. and told, and we were the oldest people and, and the, we were dancing and the, and the, and we were on the kids Snapchat. Do you remember that? I remember uh, that. I don't but that's that's great that's a good story you made snapchat chris there you go yay i don't i don't know how to use snapchat i'm sorry <laughs> so in the band the the front man the main songwriter his name's uh maddie healy and he uh he's a lot uh if if you're on social media if you follow him on instagram his uh instagram stories right now are always very chaotic in a fun crazy way of uh, sharing lots of memes and uh, they're good memes. I mean, he's he's good at finding what he finds, but he's very outspoken. You know, you he almost talks too much, and then he talks about how how he talks too much. Uh, so he's a bit extra, but I mean, I I can't help but love him. He is uh, he's he's one of those guys who like as soon as his album comes out, like he calls the people at Genius dot com uh, so that he can explain the lyrics 
uh, for every single song they do. So there's like no subtlety, there's no interpretation. It's all straight from like the horse's mouth. And, you know, he's sort of like the bizarro uh, Tom York, mm. you know, <laughs> where whereas like Tom York, like everything is mystery. And he uses these extremely bizarre metaphors and you're never hundred percent sure what he's talking about. And he, I don't even know he's hundred percent sure. And Maddie Healy, it's like, you know, not only am I not going to be really bizarre and more metaphorical, but I'm then going to burst the bubble of curiosity by immediately telling you what I'm, what I'm getting at from the top. So I, I mean, I kind of like that. I mean, and, and again, this is, I mean, in this way and in the way he kind of participates online, like very much sort of a product of this, of like the generation, like this, the, the meaning seeking the mm -hmm. like, and I, and I'm, and I mean this with respect, right? Like just like constant, shuffling rifling through the infinite content of the world mm -hmm. like looking for the dopamine hit or looking for like the thing that it, that sparks your heart you know and and sort of so he writes about that idea in, in the music um and in his lyrics and then also he sort of embodies that with the way he participates in like pop culture itself right yeah his music and his like persona it just overlaps so much um, and yeah, I mean, we may say things that make it sound like this guy is annoying or crazy, but like, I mean, this is my favorite band and it's we brilliant. both love him, but he, he's a lot. Um, yeah. I, it sounds like I'm putting the dude down, but I, I mean, I actually have an immense amount of envy <laughs> yeah. for, for, for his prolificacy. Yeah. So speaking of prolific, just, you know, quick, some of their albums, a good example of how, uh, how much they are a lot. The title of one of their albums from 2016 was, I like it when you sleep for you are so beautiful yet so unaware of it. So, like when I heard that title, I was like, I don't know if I can listen to this album cause that's just ridiculous. But like, that's an album it's from, you know, several years ago, but I keep going back to it cause it's just like there, I keep finding more or keep speaking to what I'm feeling even though, as you said, I'm a bit older, uh, there's a lot that connects with that. And you mentioned him being very online. Um, what I think my favorite album, maybe yours as well, is from 2018 called A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships. I mean, that album especially, just the genres are doing so many different things. It's thinking about responding to the ways that all of our relationships are happening online it came out in November of that year, and even when it when it dropped, I was like, "Well, this is the album of the year, right?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really was. No it was good, good question. Did you have the? Did, I mean, I I distinctly remember one of my sort of reactions to that record right after it came out was I had not. I don't remember the last time I listened to an album where I laughed and cried like listening to one record and. Mm all of the sort of emotions in between mm -hmm. and you know i'm i'm and like felt angry at different parts of it and felt like empathy in certain parts of it and i mean and enjoy and so, i mean yeah. again credit to the band because because it's it's the music sonically it's all over the place but it so beautifully renders the like digital age yeah. And the the challenges <laughs> and the headwinds and all and and the and all the stuff we're talking about in a way that I don't I can't remember the last record that made me feel that way except maybe like OK Computer 
Yeah, and that's a pretty common comparison, right? Like this is the millennial, okay, computer is Tom York is also dealing with some of the same ideas of, you know, fear of technology and isolation. This is just some of the same ideas, but 20 years later and what that looks like for someone that's, you know, in that place in life that Tom York probably was back then. And one of the other reasons that we're talking about the 1975 right now is they have an album coming out later this month on October 14th called Being Funny in a Foreign Language. So I'm obviously very excited for this album to come out. Uh, I've loved all the singles. Do you have any expectations for the album? I think it's fascinating that it is only going to be 43 minutes, especially after listening to Notes on a Conditional Form. I just, I don't even know what to expect. So I love the single so far. I think they sound great. I think they're really like concise and very focused. So maybe the whole record will be that way. I don't know. Yeah. The last album was a little, little all over the place, a little too much almost and too long. So yeah, it's kind of exciting. That might be more focused. Very, very very philosophical title though. Mm -hmm. It's a conditional form. I feel like it's. I feel like it could have been like the subtitle for this podcast episode. Yeah, but I don't know if that would get many listens because I don't know. I'm calling it "Haunted by Transcendence," and it already feels a little too <laughs> too much. It's in the spirit of Maddie Healy. You got to be a bit extra. It's earnest. It's in a world of in a world full of cynicism. You know, it's earnest, and yes. uh, that's a that's a superpower. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do for the rest of the, this podcast is look at a few different songs from this band. We talked a lot about them. I want you to actually hear it and see where are they haunted by transcendence? Uh, where, are we, where are we seeing them longing for the sacred, even as they're identifying as, as secular? And so the first song is kind of the most obvious. It's called If I Believe You. It's from that 2016 album, I Like It, and that's all I'm going to say of that title. And it's, I would say it's kind of like a, an atheist gospel song. Like the, the music of it sounds a little bit gospel. It's got a choir in the background. And he's kind of making this plea to a Jesus that he doesn't believe in. Uh, but in this song, you know, he, he's singing. He says, if, if it was you that made my body, you probably shouldn't have made me atheist. And so even there, he's, he's wrestling. He's talking to God about how he's an atheist. I can definitely say that it definitely fits just the general post-Christianity in Europe and England. Like I said, we lived there for a couple of years working with a church, and for most people, it's just like, yeah, religion is just that's something our grandparents did, but most were not like adamantly against it. It's just kind of like, why do you still care about that? Um, maybe around the time that A Brief uh, History came out, he kind of clarified and said something about like agnosticism maybe mm-hmm. so maybe not a uh total you know richard dawkins yeah yeah nothing beyond us so but but yeah sounds sounds about right yeah i mean agnosticism is like i i don't know right and that's if you just listen to what he actually sings about then that seems to be more of where he falls even if he uses the atheist label which again i'm not going to dispute how he how he understands his his views on things even a song like this I think is asking questions more than it is making accusations. Right. You know, and you know, if we keep doing this series, we'll probably look at some artists that are more in that accusatory vein, but yeah, I think he, he's seeking. Well, the opening line of the song kind of tells you how he's wrestling with some of these ideas that we've already mentioned. He says, I've got a God shaped hole that's infected. 
And so it's acknowledging, I mean, that's common language. I think there was a 90s you know, Christian rock band that, that sang about that. Um, it's, it's common language. And so he's picking up on that, but like this, this whole, right. That the idea, I remember, you know, all the youth ministers talk about it, that everybody's, you know, got this hole only God can fill. And he's saying, yeah, I have that. And it's like this open wound. And so instead of filling it, it's just, it's infecting more of his life. And he also talks about, you know, I thought, I thought I met God. I thought I met Jesus once, but it was just drugs which you know, I think we mentioned earlier um, can be a form of transcendence, but fails to actually connect to the transcendent. Um, but it, it does get you outside of yourself, but maybe not always in the truly transformative way that, that um, a real connection to the divine could. Well, we've talked a lot about the song. We should probably listen to a little bit of it. So I think the chorus kind of makes clear a lot of what, what he's looking for here where he's saying, you know, if I believe you, will that make it stop? So let's listen to a little bit of what he says after that. If I told you I need Is that what you want? And I'm broken and bleeding I'm begging for So, I don't know, do you think he's sincere? What, what does it sound like he's really looking for? What is he wanting that he's not finding in his life? I mean, my answer colored heavily by all of his other writing is meaning and belonging. I mean, he, ri- he, <laughs> he writes about drugs the way he writes about love, the way he writes about culture. The way I mean, he writes about it all the same, the same way, which is like, help me feel something, right? And I know we're not, I know we're not doing it on this episode, but um, the the track "It's Not Living If It's Not With You" from a brief inquiry, which he says is about heroin, because could just as easily be about a love interest, could just as easily be another form of the question being asked on this track, you know? So I, I mean, I think that's, I think what he's asking again, you know, I'm not him, but it all seems to point toward make me feel something, make me believe something, show me, show me, show me, show me something that is, um, you know, that's not passing away. And there's almost kind of this transactional sense of like, okay, if, if I, you know, become a Christian. If I say I believe you, is that going to take care of all these things that are weighing on me, right? Is that going to give me all the meaning that I want? Is that going to answer all of my questions? And so you could think of it as like a, a doubt crisis. It's rather the, you know, the opposite of a faith crisis of, you know, this doubting or being agnostic doesn't work. So I don't know, maybe they're, maybe I'm wrong. But I have to say, you know, as someone who is a believer, um, it doesn't always work that way. <laughs> you know, just, uh, I say I believe in Jesus, but there's a lot of things that still weigh on me, and I often feel like I'm searching for meaning. And, But it's all, I mean, this is actually a pretty common spiritual experience. Go read the Psalms. They're 
I mean, the song kind of sounds like that in some ways, even though the perspective is very different and where they're coming from, where whether or not you have committed to God doesn't mean that God is immediately going to solve all of the issues in your life. Um, now, some preach that kind of gospel, but that's not been my experience. I don't know about you. The, the, the transactional kind of religion doesn't really work out too well if, if you're being intellectually honest in any real way. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but I and I would also say that like it doesn't insulate you from the questions mm-hmm. that he's asking here. Yeah. Like 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 a statement of belief doesn't insulate you from these questions. And you know, I think again going back reflecting back on like teaching this teaching the stuff on a secular age of church like I think that's that's the insidious thing about it is that we we can believing people can go on living like this question these questions aren't being asked but mm-hmm. but but only because only because we're only able to do that because we have separated in our minds this idea of the influence of Charles Taylor's definition of secular, um, uh, we don't ha- we don't have an appreciation for that. We don't have an appreciation. We are secular, like even even Christians are secular, and we are perpetually asking other things to give us meaning, yeah. whether those other things are you know, religious things that we objectify or they are, you know, politics or our favorite sports team or Go yoga. <laughs> I mean, any, any, any of those things. Right. So like we, we don't, we don't have any, I'm not trying to be preachy, but like we don't, we don't have some secret that Maddie Healy doesn't have. Yeah. In fact, Maddie Healy is seeing something that many, many believers don't have eyes to see. And I think that's what makes the song, a song like this and all a lot of their songs so compelling yeah. to, to listen to. Yeah, it connects even if you're in a very different place. Yeah, it's a little bit like the grass is greener on the other side. Like, well, it's in some ways, but in some ways it's not. Yeah. And so, you know, the way the song ends, there's this outro which keeps repeating, if I'm lost, then how can I find myself? idea of being lost i mean it's like amazing grace right once was lost now i'm found again it's in my experience as a christian especially in you know this point in my life it's it doesn't seem that simple right and i you know we were given probably a pretty simple definition of what lost means that mostly had to do with where you're going to go when you die Uh, but i think even in scripture and in the way jesus talks about it it's it's a lot deeper than that and it has to do with how you live your life and what you if you're in tune with the kingdom of God, the abundant life that that Jesus was preaching right now or not, 
And, you know, I wonder what he means by lost. Um, but he's acknowledging, oh, well, if, if I am, then I can't find myself. It's right. He, it's like he's committed to this project of finding meaning without anything transcendent, but he already knows it's going to fail. Well, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, even the, I mean, he's obviously he's playing off the vocabulary, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the common lexicon of yes. the sort of evangelical movement here. But the how can I find myself actually is the common lexicon of the secular age, right? Like, like yeah, I'm the age like, of authenticity, like a, the age of authenticity. I'm, I'm going to, how do I find myself? I'm, I'm on a quest to find myself. Life is a quest to find myself. Like, and it's codified in like every, you know, like Disney movie and everything that we watch. And a lot every- of popular Christian books and, yeah, and oh story, my gosh. Right? it's the same yeah. thing. Like it's come to Jesus yeah. and he will help you find yourself. Like, so it's just using Jesus to do the work. Yeah, the the project of the secular age, the cultural impulse of the secular age is to create meaning. I'm creating meaning through experience or I'm creating meaning through self-discovery. I'm creating meaning through this, that or whatever. Right. But they're uh, discovering where you are in the midst of the drama of humanity or the drama of creation or the drama of, you know, you know, the, the interaction of the human and the divine or whatever is, is the real work of, of meaning making. Hmm. It's not creating meaning through all these means that we would do it. Self-creation, right? It's, um, it's discovering a meaning that we have always had, um, but may not be aware of. Uh, and, and that's a subtle nuance, but I think, um, I, I like the invitation to ask that question. Mm-hmm. Well, and when when you're on this quest to create your own meaning, to find yourself, your your authentic self, your identity, we're acknowledging and how often that seems to be a losing game and the toll that that takes. And so that leads into the next song we're going to look at called Frail State of Mind. This is from their album Notes on a Conditional Form from 2020 and uh i mean that kind of says it right there this song is very 2020 to me um and what's interesting about it it was re- the album came out in 2020 but this was one of the singles that came out in late 2019 but you know by the time the album came out we were in quarantine and you know i had a lot of uh, personal things i was going through at the time and so this song uh very much spoke to me through a lot of it. Let's let's hear a little bit of, of how it starts and um, what he seems to be wrestling with. think this track is really um this is like a staring into the void track Mm. so so he's asking in the first song you played he's asking he's pointing the questions at the supposed filler of the void Mm. right Mm. um 
And if we were doing the episode in reverse and we were going next to love it, if we made it, then he's sort of pointing and looking at all of the cultural meaning makers. So all the alternatives to Jesus Mm -hmm. is kind of what he's doing in that song. Right. And then in this song, he is just staring into the void. So it's like, my relationships <laughs> uh, don't work because mm-hmm. I am fragile. My uh, I'm unreliable because I'm fragile. I, you know, I'm a bad friend because I'm fragile. I'm, you know, I can't move. I can't get out of bed because I'm fragile. Like when I hear this song, I think of like what's at the end of the. Um, what's at the end of the sort of like nihilist rainbow Mm. like or the the, what's at the end of the atheist rainbow and i don't mean that in a judgy way i mean that in a like if if you if if you are if you are dead set that nothing transcends and you are perpetually you know this idea this buffered thing right but you are perpetually beset and penetrated by transcendence then then you are then you are um at risk of a type of fragility that is really really dangerous and if also again going back to wallace if you make one of the non truly transcendent things do the work of the transcendent thing then you are you're you're uh, dancing with the devil and i don't mean that in a religious sense like you are (laughs) you're a one thing going wrong away from you know uh the end of the the end of your rope Mm -hmm. And, and again i mean this isn't me talking for the episode of the podcast so much as me just talking about this song and how i think about this song in the context of the rest of their stuff so Richard Beck is an author that I know we both follow, and he deals with some, a lot of these similar ideas of the secular age, and he focuses on the idea of disenchantment, which is very much in the vein of Charles Taylor, right? That it used to be things were enchanted, there were angels and demons everywhere, and we don't believe in that, which in some ways is good because we go to a doctor instead of you know, just assuming that Uh, It's a demon that's making us sick. But when we live in this disenchanted world, that creates, he calls it this ache, where you're just, you're, again, searching for something that you can't find. And disenchantment uh, correlates in some ways with depression. I think he would argue that in the medieval world, people lived in fear of demons, but they probably didn't wrestle with social anxiety the way that that we do now. Uh, That's not to say that... They had no you know, issues they were dealing with, but I think the song points to that, this, this ache of just, okay, if there's nothing else, then I, I, I just can't. It is just kind of that, that void like you talked about. And again, as I mentioned with the last song, and I mentioned my own experience, this is something that believing people are not immune to as well. Because in a lot of ways, we are also disenchanted. 
it's hard to believe that God can act in a miraculous, transcendent way sometimes. We want to believe it, and maybe, uh, as we've heard in some points, Maddie also wants to believe it, but it's not easy, and that creates this sort of mental challenges to us, um, and mental health is something that isn't easy for believers or non-believers. Um, but again, Richard Beck has done some research. He's a psychologist by by training, and that's his field, and looking at you know how depression is correlated with religiosity or a lack of religiosity. There's a German sociologist named Hartmut Rosa. So he has this um, theory, and I'm going to butcher it, but this theory of um, dynamic, I think he calls it dynamic stabilization. And, um, and trying to paraphrase the basic idea is that like, part of the reason that we're seeing a coming apart of the various systems in our world is that, um, change and growth is happening faster than the systems were designed to bear. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and so everything is accelerating so fast, whether it's, whether it's political change or it's, um, technological change or it's, uh, uh, economic change or whatever, these things are happening at such a frequency and such a rate that the systems that they're meant to be contained within are beginning to come apart at the seams. And of course we see that in, um, I think probably most clearly in, in sort of like the fragmentation of our society around politics. Mm. Um, but he, um, he, and, and then, and then he sort of intersects a little bit with this idea of like meaning and, the dissolution of meaning as a result of this stuff, because everything's becoming objectified in its own like growth and change. And, um, but talks about how, um, the, one of the antidotes to this challenge is, um, moments of resonance. And he describes moments of resonance as experiences immersed in, um, music, the arts, nature, and religion these four sort of arenas and part of what um part of what uh what those arenas provide is um is something that transcends the accelerating systems all around us um and and creates resonance in our you know in our minds and our hearts and mm. our souls all that sort of stuff um and again when i hear a song like Frail State of Mind, and I think about a lot of their discography, and even a lot of what's going on on the record notes on a conditional form, um, where there is a ton of like existential dread mm-hmm. kind of permeates the, like it begins with the very first track and kind of permeates the sonics of the record and all this sort of stuff. Like, um, like there's a, like there is a, there's a sense at which, you know, Maddie is like at a breaking point. Mm-hmm. And he's watching in this song, he's watching all of these different things that would normally be um, meaning giving or, um, or, 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 or life giving or whatever kind of like dissolve into nothing, um, you know, uh, and, and saying like, I, I give up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that, and that, that existential ache that Richard Beck is talking about is kind of all bound up in that. Um, and I just, I think it's interesting I think it's I think it's interesting to you know examine that in in line with kind of the rest of the conversation we've been having about you know 
the ways that music and art and beauty point to something mm -hmm. and how they have the ability, the unique ability to give us a, even if it's slight, even if it's only a, a glimmer of a window out of this state of perpetual acceleration and objectification that we get into mm -hmm. in, in the secular age, um, you know, and, and sort of point a way out. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily a comment on frail state of mind so much that so much it is that like the, the, the art that Maddie Healy is making is in itself sort of a, a signpost pointing out of the malaise that he finds himself in. Yeah. So you already mentioned the third song we're going to talk about and how it's wrestling with all of these things, right? The acceleration, the acceleration of information for one thing, I think is a big part of this last song, love it if we made it. So this is from a brief inquiry into online relationships, uh, their amazing album from 2018. And I would say this is almost certainly the best song of 2018. Uh, so let's hear a little bit of, of what he's doing in this song where He's really just listing current events, but you, the way that he's doing it and even the music of it, uh, I think you hear an effect. So let's let's hear a little bit of this song. So like I said, he's just kind of naming things that are happening. And I uh, saw a quote from Maddie about it. He says, a lot of the stuff that you could be upset about in the song, I never said in the first place. So he's just quoting people on Twitter or just mentioning things in the news. And, and so in the music of it, right, it sounds kind of like this ticking clock. Uh, the, the bass line is just these two notes for a long, for a, a major part of the song just kind of goes back and forth. And so like the music of it just kind of feels like it's a countdown to the end of something, right? It's the acceleration that you mentioned, just like it keeps being more and more and we can't handle it. You know, uh, one comparison you could make is this is kind of like We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel, but for millennials. Uh, so it's a little bit similar to That Funny Feeling by Bo Burnham, which I talked about in one of the early episodes of the show. And actually another quote from Maddie. Um, recently, after uh, That Funny Feeling came out, uh, he said, uh, yeah, Bo, he needs to stay in his lane a bit. <laughs> we did that song. I was like, you mother. Uh, so both of those songs are doing very similar things. And I talked about that as doing sort of like Ecclesiastes. We're just naming all these things that you see in the world and it's just the overwhelming feeling that comes from that of, of dread or that uh, this is not going to to work yeah I, I mean i mean what what i love about this track and you've already kind of mentioned it but the juxtaposition of of just this litany of terribleness um stream of consciousness like he writes it like a street of stream of consciousness and that the bridge when he's going through all the things and he hit, ends with this you know thank you kanye very cool which is a which is quoting a donald trump tweet you know like just like about kanye West and like going through this all this stuff and it's and and you can just you can just tell it's it's like he's scrolling through his feed 
Yeah, it's doom scrolling as a song. And and he's looking for that like little bit of light, that little bit of meaning. And he sees that it's like it's black as night, mm-hmm. right? And there's no meaning and there's no light and it's all a mess. And he and then he like hits us with this, you know, I'd love it if we made it, which is which is which is a hilarious and tragic line. Yeah, I wanna so I wanna play we heard it a little bit in that first time. There's a shift that you'll hear as we play this second version. It also has the line about Kanye. So let's listen to this other clip, and then we'll talk about what what it means to say, I'd love it if we made it. So we hear that line repeated over and over. I'd love it if we made it. And yet even as the music changes, it, it seems to take on a different tone, right? It was a little more fearful or like not really sure what's going to happen the first time. But then when the, the bass actually, had, like when there's actually a bass line, it, it seems maybe more hopeful. I don't know. How do you hear? How do you hear that? Yeah, I mean, I, I hear it. And you're you you're reading into the the sonic shifts much better than I am, but I think from the very first moment, like from the time I read the title of the track, to the time I hear it the first time, to the time I hear it at the end, to me it just is a louder and louder shout into the void of this like mixed emotion of hope and despair. Yeah, and. And I mean, it's a it to me, it doesn't change from despairing to hoping mm. like it is one in the same all throughout. And um, and uh, and there's no reprieve from it. Mm-hmm. And 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 honestly, without, you know, trying to be too much of like of a armchair psychologist for like the present sort of time and everybody like like. Go for it. That's what podcasts are for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine a more sort of like real emotion to describe kind of like how things feel generally mm-hmm. all the time. Which is a which for me, I mean personally, is a mix of hope and despair, and it's a and it's like a it's a continuum. Yeah. I mean, as as a pastor, I can I can certainly speak to that. Of it's just it's all it's all so much, and you want to have hope, and it just it's so back and forth all the time. And yeah, I, that line is just perfect. Of I'd love it if we made it right. Like how you say that could like well, it'd be nice if human race survived if we didn't destroy the planet. But you could read it as but we won't, or could be well, we could you know. So I just the naming of how it feels to be alive in this moment. I think that song does so well. I also think though, that I think part of the reason for that feeling is that we do the things that he is doing. Like we doom scroll reality. Right. And, and I think that, um, I think that part of like, again, going back to Hartmut Rosa, 
if I, if I spent half as much time, like walking along a babbling brook here in my town where I live that I do like scrolling through my Twitter feed, I probably would be, I would probably click over on the hope side of the hope despair continuum. And if I spent, if I, if I, you know, being a sort of like Catholic, Catholicophile, um, if you will, like if I spent more days, like doing mass at noon, um, rather than like, you know, going and, and reading the news or whatever it is I'm doing, I probably would be a little bit more on the hope side of the continuum. And so, you know, part of what I would want to like, if I had like Maddie Healy's cell phone number and I could text mm-hmm. him, I'd be like, Hey man, take a break Got from that. social media, dude, Yeah, go outside, you know, breathe <laughs> some fresh air, you know? And, and because, and, and I think that's real, like it sounds trite, but like part of what makes transcendence transcendent is that it's not of the moment or it's beyond the moment. Like it's of the moment, right? But it's of the moment within the context of everything, the infinite moments, yeah. right? And and part of our problem is we are we we live so firmly rooted in the now mm-hmm. and more like the refresh. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. live so firmly in like the we're never getting above it. <laughs> that even gets to like the last line in the chorus after he just he just sings, I love it if we made it over and over. He says, Tell me something I don't know. Which for a long time was like, what does that have to do with anything? But I think it is like if you're doom scrolling, it's like Tell me something else that could now it could just be give me more information, right? It's that acceleration and just we have to continue to get more. If I can just learn something else and I can think my way out of this, but it could also be tell me something that's not just more news, right? Or more uh, ridiculous pop culture stuff. And so even in that, tell me something I don't know could be a longing for the transcendent. And he kind of says that in the song. I mean, we heard it in one of the clips earlier. He says, Jesus, save us. Modernity has failed us. Now, that's one of those places where him saying, Jesus, save us, probably is a little more. He's not really saying that. But to acknowledge that, yeah, modernity, well, that's definitely not working. Right? This project of just we're going to figure everything out and get all the information. That's why we're in post-modernity, because we recognize that that that's not working. And yet we're still in some ways still trying to operate out of those, those systems. But to say Jesus save us, whether he means it or not, I think it is acknowledgement for need for something transcendent, something outside, right? We need help that does not come from within that won't just come from, you know, finding this person on Twitter that'll give us the right hot take, but we do need something transcendent. Like that's, that's the ultimate hope. It's, eschatological in that sense of you know this desiring for a kingdom that does not originate from here but is always breaking in and is is found here so whether or not he intends that i I think this song points to that need that if you're just looking for that in the midst of all the noise yeah i love it if we made it but it's probably not gonna if it's coming down to us and all this stuff that we're doing we can't save ourselves as, as he, we can't find ourselves as he said earlier. Yeah. I, I think, I think the, the, you said breaking in a minute ago, I, I think this whole record is in breaking. Mm. It's just all over the place. The whole song, the whole record, a ton of their music, like, right. I just think it's, it's all over it. And the, here's the thing at the end of the day, like 
Maddie Healy, like so many songwriters before him, is giving uh, a shape and a voice to unspoken things or things felt, right? And which is why it resonates so much, which is why, you know, you listen and you laugh and you cry at the same time <laughs> and you have all those emotions in between because it's it's re it, it resonates with your experience or whatever. And so he's a vessel, whether he's a willing vessel or an interested vessel or whatever, he's absolutely a vessel. And um, for, the, for that inbreaking, uh, for sure, I think. Yeah. So we've been using this band, the 1975, to think about the secular age that we're in and what spirituality looks like, whether you uh, claim to be agnostic, claim to be a believer, and how in some ways we're actually still feeling a lot of the same things. But either way, the future for spirituality, Christianity, is changing. Right? It's going to be different. So as we think about you know these big picture things that he sang about that we talked about in these different from these different philosophers where do you find hope for the future what do you think the direction the way forward might be well i, th I think that the thing that is most exciting about this is that there you know whereas in modernity as we were figuring everything out and learning all there is to know we put aside the transcendent thing. Humanity put aside the transcendent mm -hmm. and said, if it's not materially available, if it's not knowable, if it's not testable, then it's not real, right? And now this generation is saying, hey, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Like, like I still feel something. There's still questions. There's still unmet needs. There's, there's still, um, you know, uh, even if I know everything, even if I'm completely buried in information, I still have this question. I have this longing. I think there's a, there's a tremendous amount of hope for spirituality and for Christianity within that, because that means people are asking a question who can give me, what can give me meaning? Hmm. Um, what can give me something that's more than knowledge? Right. And, and I think, I think Christians have an answer to that question. Um, we may not deliver that answer in the right way. Mm -hmm. We may not deliver in a culturally relevant way. We may not deliver in a sensitive way, but I think we have an answer to that question. And I think that going back and sort of tying a bow on the David Foster Wallace thing from earlier, like when he says, everybody's going to worship something, right? We're all worshiping something. The real, the reality is that, and, they, and again, Wallace says this um, as an agnostic, um, whatever we worship that is not transcendent will destroy us. Mm -hmm. Whatever, right? It'll take, it'll take everything. Yeah. And so as people become more interested in asking the question, like, what is, what is, what is it that transcends the knowable? right um and begin to test out the many potential answers for that question and are subsequently quote unquote destroyed doesn't always mean total destruction it just means different types of dis destruction right like deconstruction 
deconstruction or like I'm at my wits end or like, you know, this, this, you know, this feels like, a, this feels like a gap. This feels like a void. This very idea that, that Maddie Healy is expressing in the song. I'd love it if we made it like, and for real state of mind, like this, when they come to the end of that and there's still the longing, yeah. What's there's that? a, there's a, there's an opening there. Right. And I think that, I think that, a, I think that, a, I think that wisdom, um, with transcendent wisdom is a thing that could find a lot of purchase in a secular age. Mm -hmm. And that's probably my hope yeah. uh, is that it does. Yeah. I, I think you said it well, it's a spirituality of seeking, not just finding right. Modernity yeah. without finding, finding the right answer. And that's yeah. as a pastor, that's what excites me is to help people seek and, you know, to offer, you know, experience and knowledge and wisdom that I have from training and that we're, we're trying to figure this out and we're not going to settle for easy answers and that we are willing to name that water that we're swimming in. And so that's where a band like this can help do that. Even if they're doing it, you know, Matty Healy's not doing it to be a better Christian, but he's helping us name something that matters to all of us because we are all swimming in this water. Well, as we get towards the end of our show, we're going to do the segment we love to do here at Pop Culture Pastor, which is our Pop Culture Consolations and Desolations. This is where we take the spiritual practice of the examine prayer from St. Ignatius of Loyola, since you love all that Catholic stuff, <laughs> which is about naming the presence of the Holy Spirit, of, of what is giving life from God in, in our daily life. But we're using that to talk about what in pop culture is giving us life and what is maybe not giving life. So, uh, Blake, what's been your pop culture consolation this week? What's what's giving you life? Probably my consolation is probably Welcome to Wrexham. Okay. Uh, which is a docu-series on Hulu um, about Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia buying and attempting to run a fifth tier uh british soccer club and the they you know they invest all this money and this club means a lot to this community and they just shine a spotlight on this like kind of um you know this town in wales that's seen better days mm -hmm. and and how like the the uh the love of the game and the hope of you know investment it you know lifts spirits and lifts the community and lifts all boats and i think at a time where most everything that you find out there um lacks a sense of uh you know wide-eyed hope mm -hmm. uh getting a little bit of that um is, is 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 a good thing so yeah that's my consolation what about you well, uh, I have a couple today. So picking up off my last episode where we talked about Lord of the Rings, I decided to go back and listen to the audiobooks. So I am a little over halfway through Fellowship of the Ring right now. And uh, pretty recently they did a new version where Andy Serkis does, uh, does the audiobook. And of course we know him from being in Lord of the Rings doing Gollum. Uh, but he's uh, great actor and he's really good with voices which is what you need for an audiobook and so that's just as as we mentioned in that episode you know coming to this 
story that's so beloved at different points in your life, it, it connects in different ways. And so already just the idea of Frodo having this burden and yet being willing to, to still carry it, even though at this point in the story, it's you know still not anything like what it's going to be. Uh, that's, that's been enjoyable. And then also an album by the band called The Wonder Years. Uh, their newest one came out just a week or two ago. Uh, the Hum Goes On Forever. They've been around for a while, but I hadn't heard of them before this. They're kind of a pop punk uh, sort of emo band, so it definitely hits you know a certain <laughs> musical genre that uh, is near and dear to me. But what what why it's really connecting with me is you know the, the main songwriter. He's getting a little bit older, and so I think he just recently had a kid. And so it's like, what happens when you know pop punk those guys become parents? And you know, having some of that same sort of energy or you know musicality as well that you get in that that genre, but to think about being a parent and also dealing with mental health issues and the hope that kids can give, but also the like, am I really going to bring a kid into this world? And you know, as a sometimes depressed dad, it uh, is working for me. So that's the wonder years. The hum goes on forever. Man, have have I have I talked to you about this uh, the Gang of Youths record? Maybe. Oh my gosh, man, you've got you've got to check it out. I'm adding that to my consolations. Gang of Youths, Angel in Real Time. It's uh, Australian band, actually kind of a little bit like the 1975. But uh, he his dad dies in 2018, and in 2019 he finds out that his dad had another family uh, prior to him becoming his dad. And he reckons with that and that story and the idea of family legacy and history and legend and God and all this stuff. And it's just, it's just a freaking great record. Okay. So I'm adding it based on your, it, it, with inspiration from your Wonder Years recommendation, yeah. I'm throwing out uh, Gang of Youth's Angel in, Angel in Real Time. All right, so any desolations this week? Anything in pop culture, the pop culture landscape that has not been life-giving for you? There's a Twitter account called uh, Investors of TikTok. And it's just this account that curates um, like crypto bros posting on TikTok about their get-rich-quick schemes. And um, I definitely like rage love it Mm. so like it's you know like i watch it because i can't turn away yeah but to say that it gives life is would not be accurate it it actually makes my soul hurt yeah so you naming twitter tiktok and crypto like i could feel the life draining out of my body (laughs) as you were saying it so all right yeah i don't have a, a big desolation this week uh, the only thing I could think of is the show House of the Dragon, which I've actually been loving um, way more than I even expected to on HBO Max. It's telling the story of the Targaryen family 200 years before Game of Thrones. So the, I, I love the show, but my only desolation is they've done this time jump after about five episodes and replaced um, two of the main actresses. And I just love those early versions. Uh, I mean, they they cast them to be like the young teenage versions, and now they're adults. But both of those young actresses were so good that it's kind of hard to to lose them. But it's it's really been a great show. Uh, we may talk more about Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon on this show in the near future. 
but just sad to lose those two actresses. Well, thanks for being with us today, Blake. Uh, I hope everyone else enjoys this conversation. I know we can talk about music and nerdy theological, philosophical stuff for ages, but that's what a podcast is, where you get to listen to me talk to my friends about things that I'm into, but I think you might love it too. So thanks for being with me, Blake. We will see you again soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Chris. Well, everyone, as we come towards the close of our show, this is the point where we have to get serious. You know, we talked in this episode about how art can be something that helps us pierce that veil and find access to the transcendent. And I know that that's what Pop Culture Pastor, this podcast, does for you. I know that as you have heard what we've shared today, that has gotten you in touch with with deeper reality. And so if you have had this transcendent podcast experience, I only ask that you make sure others can experience that as well. So give us a review, rate, subscribe, share on social media so that everyone can hear this good news. Also, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and that also goes for pop culture pastors. Well, as we come to the close of the show, I want to again thank my guest, Blake Jackson. Pop Culture Pastor is produced and edited by me. If you want to dig more into the 1975, check the show notes. I've got my own playlist of their greatest hits that I've put together, as well as a playlist of other songs that might be featured in this Haunted by Transcendence series. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Culture Pastor for more content. Our theme song is Be Thou My Vision from the 8-Bit Hymnal by Mr. Tyler Larson. You are now dismissed. Go in peace.